Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I am your host, Miguel, here joined by Ben, who you may or may not have seen on the podcast before. Hey, Ben. Hello. How's it going? It's good, man. The other co-hosts are not here today, as you can see, but Ben is graciously going to step in and talk to us today about uh, some mistakes that new creators can make when they're selling products online. So I know that's something that's pretty important to creators. It's a pretty direct way to kind of monetize what you do on the internet. So I'm glad to have someone here that's done that before and uh, looking forward to chatting with you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Do you just want me to dive in or I think you had like a news thing. Did you want to talk about or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before we get started, yeah, I do want to kind of talk over some something in the news. So have you heard is our first segment. And it's just me today. And it's just one thing I wanted to talk about, which is that uh, essentially Vimeo, which is kind of like a sort of a quasi YouTube competitor, but maybe not really, but is telling creators suddenly that they have to pay a lot of money or they need to leave the platform. So I know it's really popular with like Patreon creators and stuff like that, that Vimeo decided to hike their prices and they're shifting more as like a business to business kind of a solution as opposed to something for individual creators. So I thought that was kind of like a interesting sort of shift. I'm sure that there's a lot of strategy and a lot of stuff behind it that maybe we don't have are privy to the information, but that's crazy, man. What do you think about it? I read that article and I thought it- It seemed a little shady to me, honestly, because Vimeo is saying that the cost to support some of these creators was like exceeding the revenue they were bringing in. And so that's why they want to charge them extra money, like oftentimes thousands of dollars extra in order to keep their videos on the platform. But a lot of the the Patreons, they only had like views of like in the hundreds or maybe the thousands. And so like that data doesn't match up with (laughs) <laughs> what I have experienced with like on like a YouTube platform or something like that, where a video can get like millions of views. And obviously YouTube is fully free, but it, it just seemed really weird. And even someone pushed back on some of the the data that they, they said, they said, oh, okay, you owe us $3,000 because of all of the data you're using. And he asked Vimeo for their data that they used to gain, come to that cost. And they ended up doing some negotiating and he only ended up having to pay like $2,500. Hmm. But still, like yeah. the whole situation seems really weird to me. I, th- I think they're, they're just trying to offload some customers that they don't want anymore, which I don't know. What do you think about that, Miguel? I mean, it seems to me that obviously they wouldn't make this change if the way things were was working for them. So obviously something wasn't working. Yeah. And it's my understanding that hosting video is not a cheap enterprise. I mean, mm. so being profitable and making money is obviously what people are in business to do. And it seems to me that Vimeo was maybe, and what they're transitioning away from, it wasn't working out for them on a a business sense. So I guess they figured that the place that they do make money is kind of like a B2B kind of a offering. So I think that they're kind of trying to go all in on the thing, the part of their business that works for them. Yeah, I just just feel bummed for these creators because I know what it's like where if you have to move all of your content to another platform, you have to change all of these links. And if you have like hundreds of videos, you have to update all this stuff and then your audience is mad at you. It's just like a huge pain. So I feel bad for some of those creators that are coming off this platform. Yeah, yeah, it really stinks, man. Yeah, well, uh, more on that. Uh, You can find, uh, you can just kind of Google it. There's a few articles for it. There's a pretty good one on The Verge if you want to read more about that, but... We are going to move on to the main topic here, which is selling stuff online. So selling products online. So 
when we talk about selling products and things like that, what exactly do we mean? Is it like, obviously it's not necessarily like a physical good, but what can you tell us more about that, Ben? Yeah. Um, you can sell all sorts of different things as a creator. I tended to focus on digital products because I didn't want to have to mess with supply lines or anything like that, that can get really complicated. And also your margins become a lot smaller when you start dealing with physical goods. So I think digital goods are much better. You can create something once and you can just copy it lots and you can sell lots of it. So I just want to give everyone a overview of my experience because you might not know who I am or anything like that. And so I just want to kind of go over some of my accolades and my successes, I suppose. So my history when it comes to selling digital projects products is I've sold courses from like between like 300-ish dollars to um, I sold even like much smaller products. They're only a couple dollars. So I have like a wide range. I'm not selling things for thousands of dollars, like maybe Amy Porterfield or someone, some big creator, but yeah. I sold things for hundreds of dollars. I ran a membership website that had an exclusive podcast episode as part of the main content draw. I also saw clients in person for coaching. So I have like that individual experience. And I also had a podcast for a long time that I ran called Shut Up Brain that had about a half million downloads before I stopped recording it. And so I'm framing all this in a very specific way, because if you've heard any sort of podcast like this, where someone's coming in, talking about their experience, they will frame things like this. And you might think right off the bat, wow, Ben is really successful. But I was, I was telling Miguel this, I do not feel like a success. In fact, all that side of my business, I've essentially shut down because it was not successful enough to meet some of the goals that I had. And I just felt like I was wasting time and money trying to hustle there. So what I'm going to be going over with Miguel is all the mistakes that I have made that <laughs> hopefully if you are in the beginning of this process, you can learn from some of them and you can maybe do things a little bit differently. So maybe you'll have more success than I had. I still made thousands of dollars, but definitely not tens of thousands of dollars. And I still obviously have a day job, which I love. So (laughs) a little bit of a a counterintuitive framing of this episode. So no, I like that. I like that. I kind of, I was looking forward to doing, uh, I was telling Ben this before we started the show is like very often online, we are kind of putting our best foot forward and we're doing a very refined version of whatever it is that we are or what we're doing, whether that's like Instagram with the perfect filter and you've sort of cropped this thing out and everything's very heavily curated. And I was really looking forward to doing a show where we kind of talk about some of the not so polished things about what it is to be a creator, be selling digital products. And it's not like a, look how great I am, do what I do. It's more of like, sort of like the other side of that coin. Well, let's dive into some of these. And I have like a list that I'm kind of looking on my notes here, but feel free to jump in, Miguel, ask follow-ups or do whatever you need to do. Yeah, I'm used to running a solo podcast and just like <laughs> having a captive audience where I can just talk as much as I want. So. so like the very first mistake I made, and it's sort of a mistake, is pre-selling a course. I don't know if anyone has heard of this. You probably have if you're in the digital space at all, is like, They talk about selling a product or selling a course before you even build it, pre-selling it. And Mm -hmm. this is a really a double-edged sword. So I did pre-sell a course. It was a course I think I ended up selling for around $99 each. And I made like $1,200 or $1,500 on this course. And it took me about four or five months to completely build out the course. However... I thought it was only going to take me a month and a half or two months tops. And so this actually led to a lot of stress on my half because I had pre-sold this course. People had already paid me good money for it. And 
I was working really hard to create it, but it was just taking much, much longer than I thought it was going to take. And I was like, I pre-sold the course in the beginning of December. And so I was like working really hard through the holidays. Didn't really get to enjoy my holidays that year. And I just felt like really bad overall. In fact, the whole experience overall was just not great. And the, the thing about it is because I was sort of rushing through it to try and get it complete, my plan was to, after I had created the course once, is to be able to resell it again later. That's the whole part of courses and why they can be so valuable. You make the content once, you can just resell it multiple, multiple times. Yeah. But because I kind of rushed through it, I wasn't super happy with the final product. Yes, I had completed everything. Yes, there was a ton of content there. In fact, too much content. That was the biggest complaint people had about the course when I asked for feedback is they're like, this is just way too much. I think if I would have had more of a solid game plan for my content and just kind of reduced it down to just the core essentials, it would have been a much better course. So was pre-selling it a good thing or a bad thing? I'll get more into why it might have been a good thing later, but just right off the bat, it seemed like it created more stress than, and a worse product for me than if I had just created the course first and then sold it later. Yeah. What gave you the idea that pre-selling it was a good idea? Was that advice that you had gotten or is that like what the industry tends to tell you to do or is this what what made you choose to do that? Yeah, I, I used to listen to so many different podcasts about like starting a business and being a creator. And it seems like so many people said you should pre-sell a course. There's lots of good advantages to pre-sell it. It's like they, they're like sell it before you even build it. They're like, I know that seems scary, but just do it. And so I can't remember exactly who off the bat has said that. And I don't really want to call anyone out, but like all the big players have said pre-sell before your, your product is complete. And there are some advantages, but there's also definitely some disadvantages of it. So I wouldn't recommend it necessarily. That's crazy to me that you would get the advice of like, sell something that you haven't even created yet. I just feel like that puts a lot of pressure on you. And maybe that makes sense for certain people. Uh, maybe some people work well under that kind of pressure. It's like, oh, crap, I have to make this. But I don't know that I would enjoy that that much, uh, you know, because I'm just like, I made a really big promise to somebody and they gave me money because of that promise. And if I don't deliver, then I feel like I'm cheating people in a way and cheating myself, really. Yeah, I just add so much pressure to me. Now, the one thing that is really good about pre-selling a course is that it's you've guaranteed that people actually want what you're building. <laughs> That's nice. I've also had the experience of building whole products that I thought that people want because they've said that they want it. But then when the sales page is up, no one buys it. That's horrible. That's maybe arguably worse. <laughs> so <laughs> like it's kind of a a pick em sort of thing, like what sort of problem set do you want? So pre-selling course, not all bad, but there's definitely not tons of advantages of it either. Yeah, I was going to say that too, is that it seems like knowing the demand for your work before you start working definitely is an advantage. It's kind of like you 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 launch a, a restaurant or something like that. You open the doors and no one comes in. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like the nobody worst. wanted a waffle stand here. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I could have sworn everybody said they wanted waffles. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> all right. So let's move on to the next thing. So the next thing you said uh, you told me was not charging enough, yeah. which we've talked about on this podcast in the past. So tell me more about that. Yeah, that's like the other biggest mistake is just not charging enough. And 
pricing is a whole thing. I've read so many different books, not only just like financial books, but also psychology books about like how to price your products and, and whatnot. And I can almost guarantee that whatever price you're thinking about charging right now is too low. And it might even be too low by about 50%. So I would just recommend almost doubling whatever it is in your head. So I want to give you some real world examples is my very first product, digital product that I was selling was a course to help people with insomnia and sleep. And I priced it at, I think, just shy of $300. I think it was $299. And I only sold about two or three versions of that course. I got a bunch of emails that a lot of people said, wow, Ben, I really want this course, but it is just way too expensive. Like I cannot pay $300 for this course. So I was like, oh, that really sucks. And so I hemmed and hawed. And over the course of the next year or so, I ended up having that same course, but reduced the price drastically. I reduced it to, I think, just under $100. I think I was charging $97 for this course. And you would think that, okay, once I reduce the price, people would just latch on and buy it. And that was not the case. In fact, I don't think I really sold any at that new lower price. Hmm. In fact, it was probably a signal to anyone that was watching me is like, oh, wow, this product must not be very good if you just lower the price so drastically. Yeah. And like I said, I have, I've had experience of selling products for just a couple dollars to like 50 or $60 to hundreds of dollars. And no matter how much I charge, someone will always say it's too expensive. When I was charging things for $9, people were saying it should be 99 cents. And then I'm sure <laughs> if I said it was 99 cents, people say it should be free. Yeah. So you just need to find, people will pay the higher price. You just have to determine how you want to frame yourself in the market. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i trying to think of the psychology of something. And like, for I had a, something similar happen to me. So the other day I was looking at some Udemy courses to help me with some stuff for my work and some, you know, kind of working on some skills that I want to hone for my job. And I found something that I really liked. This is a whole nother topic, but Udemy's pricing structure made no sense to me. It was like, there was a course that was $100, but it was like, hey, if you act now, you can get it for 12. I'm like, what? Wow. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, I guess, cause it was like my first one and they want to like hook you or something. But then like, I was having some trouble getting that price cause I would add it to my cart and then it would just be a hundred dollars. And I was like fighting back and forth because like when I saw it for 99, I was like, yeah, that's worth it because you know, that's going to give me a lot of skills. You know, and that will have like multiplying factors of like, yeah, that's a small price to pay for, you know, me getting way better at my job and potentially, you know, investing in myself. So I was cool with 99. And then I saw it for 12. And now I refuse to pay 99 for it. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm going to find the way to get this price. I don't know what's going on with this site, but I'm going to like create a new account. I'm going to like use a use a incognito window. I'm going to find a way to get this $12 because now I'm not paying $100. And then. <laughs> I couldn't get the $12 price to work. And at the end of the day, I was just like, yeah, I still think it's worth it. So I'm just going to pay the $99. And I did. But like, it's just funny. The psychology of price is like, once you, you will rationalize the price and what it is that you're buying with like a, a internal cost benefit ratio. Like it was worth a hundred. It was worth 12. It's for me, it was, it was worth the original sticker price. So it was just kind of a weird, weird situation. But I, I hear what you're saying about like, the price almost not even mattering. The point is the price almost doesn't matter if someone thinks that there's value in what you're selling. Yeah, there's a really cool story from this book. It's by Cialdini. I believe the book is Persuasion or maybe it's Influence. Cialdini's written a couple different ones. I think it's Influence. And he talks about some of the different ways that 
we are influenced just as human beings. And there's a really cool story where there is this shop at this kind of touristy town. And in this shop, they sold all sorts of different little things for tourists. And one of them was a display with all these like locally made bracelets. And these bracelets were not selling and they just hadn't sold for months. And so the owner was about to go on vacation herself. And so she wrote a little note to the person that was managing the store says, take all these bracelets in here and mark them half off. I just basically want them gone. And when she left for a vacation, she came back, all of the bracelets were gone. And so she's like, awesome, great. But when she was looking at the financials, she had a lot more money. And she was kind of curious about that. So she asked um, the manager, like, hey, what's going on here? Like those bracelets that sold, like what's the situation? And the manager had misread her note. And instead of cutting the price in half, she doubled the price on all the bracelets. So all the bracelets were much, much more expensive. And yet that was a signal to everyone like, oh, wow, these must be really high quality. And so they sold out like that (laughs) uh, when they weren't moving before. So it's just, it's interesting that price is a signal to certain things and higher prices oftentimes signal quality. So if you're confident in your product, you should not be scared about charging a higher price. Yeah, that's a really important lesson. So speaking about in the first thing that you said about pre-selling a course, we talked a little bit about this next one that we want to talk about, which is building the wrong product. So we touched on that a little bit about building something that maybe nobody wanted. Yeah. Uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit about that? Like just putting all this work into something that nobody wants, essentially. Yeah, I probably built more products that never got sold than products that have sold. That's for sure. And a lot of that is because if you go to your audience and say, would you pay for this product? A lot of times people want to be nice and be like, yeah, heck yeah, I would pay for it. Mm -hmm. But if you follow up that question with awesome, you can go to this website right now and you can buy it right now and I'll deliver it to you soon. Like they're going to be much more hesitant. (laughs) Yeah. So making sure you're building the right product and that's why pre-selling can be good. But I also want to point out that you should build what individuals are asking for because you might be saying, okay, how do I know which product to build? Build what a specific individual is asking for, not what everyone or the people are asking for. That's where I've had my most success. I have, or I had, have a YouTube channel. And most of my YouTube videos get between 1,000 and 5,000 views. But there is one video there that has 40,000 views. And that is because it was something that I specifically made for one person who they they wanted it. And so I was like, okay, I'll just make this quick YouTube video. I put it up there. And not only did they like it, but it trended because it was so valuable. And then I have another video beyond that, that I also made for a very specific client. And it was just a short, like 10 minute video. And that got 200,000 views. Jesus. And so you can see that when you build things for very specific individuals and not for people in general, you can really get to the core of the problem. Thus, you're able to get to the core of the solution and it tends to resonate with more people anyway. So just make sure you're building the right product. That makes me wonder about something. So is it that you should be building something for that is tailor-made to a specific person? Or was it that the thing you were talking about was so niche that it tended to be something that people latched onto more. Because I feel like if you make a broad general content, people are not going to spend a lot of time with it. But if it's very specific, they're like, okay, this is something that no one really, really talks about. There's a hundred videos on how to do generically this thing, but this person narrowed down and really drilled down on this very specific esoteric thing. And 
this is what I'm here for. This is giving me something no one else is giving me. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that's it too, because it's also about differentiating yourself and, you know, being being kind of a specialist and something. Because if you're doing a you know, generalist content, then it's a dime a dozen who gives a shit, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think it's some of both. I think even like this podcast episode that we're recording right now, we're not talking about all products. We're mainly talking about digital products. And we could even get even more specific. We could talk about digital courses or we could even be even more specific than that, like um, musical digital courses and really niching down there. But I think that the more you are specific, the more it will resonate with individuals that really will take action on what you're doing, but also it'll resonate with a, a wider audience as well. Yeah, that's the psychology around trying to figure out what people want is like something that we will never answer and it will go on to the end of time because mm -hmm. half the time we don't even know what we want. And then something comes across our feed or, you know, in our social media and we're like, and then we are now the person that's sharing it to everybody that we want because, you know, it resonates with us or maybe like we see ourselves in this content or we find it valuable and we know other people that find it valuable. Yeah. So then people do the work for us if it's something that they find value in mm -hmm. as far as like sharing the word about it. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned in here about not not having an audience that knows, likes and trusts you. What do you mean by that? Do you, are you saying that it's bad to not be known or are you saying it's good to not be known? I wasn't sure exactly what you meant. Yeah. So Miguel's looking at my notes for this this episode. Um, yeah, I got a cheat sheet. Yeah. <laughs> this is specifically for new creators. Or if you're thinking like, okay, I have a job right now. I don't love it. I want to start selling digital products. And if you do not have an audience already, it makes it really hard to sell things. Because if you don't have that audience, then you have to rely just on your sales page, which creating a sales page can be very difficult. In fact, this is the story of my very first product. The one I was telling you before that I sold for a few hundred dollars and I got a few different sales is I made this great product. It was based on stuff I had done with other coaching people. And so it, I knew that the product was worked and was a good one. And I thought, okay, I'm going to make this great sales page. And then I'm going to put like $400, $500 in Facebook ads, driving traffic to this sales page. And then if I sell a couple courses, hopefully that will be enough money where I can buy more Facebook ads. And it's just sort of a self-perpetuating cycle where I'm putting in $1 of ads and I'm getting $2 out. Unfortunately, the only person <laughs> or the only couple of people that bought that product were people that knew me. One was a good friend. I think another was a, a previous uh, client. There was no one who was absolutely cold coming from those Facebook ads that bought my product. Now you might say, Ben, that's because you must have had a terrible sales page. May or may not be true. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that one of the big things about it is one of my unfair advantages is I'm pretty good in person. I'm pretty good on podcasts. People tend to like my personality. And so if you have someone that knows you, likes you and trusts you, they're going to be much more willing to spend money with you, which is one of the main reasons I started my podcast back in the day, because I was like, oh, man, people are not buying this product. Maybe if I start a podcast, people can get to know me and then they will buy this product, which mm. a little bit I ended up getting rid of that product and creating other ones and stuff like that. So it was, it's a very long, complicated story. <laughs> well, I mean, and connecting to an audience is very near and dear to what we do at our jobs at ConvertKit and email lists are one way to do that. And 
we are we are of the mind that it's one of the better ways to do that. Um, so, yeah, I hear you there. I'm trying to think of like real world examples. Like I could have great products that I make or that I build, or I could be have information that I teach. But if I don't have a way of connecting to people who may possibly value what I have to offer, then it doesn't matter how good my stuff is. Mm -hmm. I have to build some kind of a mechanism in my business where I'm reaching out to people. And eventually it gets to this sort of snowball effect where if you have enough experience with people, they, then there's the word of mouth effect. There's, mm -hmm. if depending on where you're selling, if you have reviews on something, if you have like an Etsy store or something like that, and you're an unreviewed person, as opposed to somebody who has like four and a half or five stars on your stuff, then you know, you kind of have that community effect where people are kind of like, okay, I might've been on the fence about this, but everyone's really seems to like their stuff. I'm probably going to like it too. Yeah. And then, you know, it kind of just goes from there, but definitely building an audience is so huge. Yeah. I don't want to also discourage people like, oh, if you don't have an audience, you shouldn't try and sell anything because I think you can, I just think it's more difficult. And I think if you can add a story behind some of your products or behind you as a creator, that that like really goes a long ways. Yeah. So this next thing that I had is kind of matches up with it, which is having an audience doesn't always translate into sales, which is kind of <laughs> the opposite of what I just said. <laughs> so that's what happens in this business is just like any advice that you give. There's always I feel like there's always like the other side. The other side of the coin is always almost just as important. It's a matter of sort of finding the balance between stuff. So tell us about it. Yeah. So um, my podcast for a while had like half million downloads, 130 episodes. And throughout the course of its lifespan, I tried to pitch different products here and there. And I was always trying to figure out like what people would want to buy. And I would always have more success when I was doing it for individuals rather than just trying to guess. But overall, I thought, okay, if I can just turn a small percentage of my audience into paying subscribers, then this will easily be able to support me and have lots of extra income. But that never was ended up being the case. And I don't know exactly why, even to this day. So I can't say, okay, this was the big reason why this didn't, this was not successful. I just know that don't think that just because you have 10,000 Instagram followers or 100,000 TikTok followers or whatever, YouTube subscribers, that that's instantly going to turn into a lot of money because that isn't always the case. And maybe Charlie, when she gets back, she can talk about maybe some of her sales. I know that she sold fonts and stuff in the past and she has a large YouTube audience. So I'd be kind of curious to see what percentage of her YouTube audience actually bought some of those fonts. It's interesting to talk about kind of like the other side of this too, because one kind of holds up the other, right? You know, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg situation. You can have a big audience, but if you don't have something that they want, it won't translate into money automatically. And then the opposite is true as well. You can have great products and you can just be in a room by yourself and you're never going to sell to anybody because nobody's there to listen. So you kind of have to work on it from both, both angles, it sounds like to me. Yeah. But yeah, I think we have two more things you wanted to talk about, right? Just two more are left. And this next one is... I will admit it is advice that's coming from a place of trauma in my own brain. <laughs> so, so the advice or the mistake is if you have like a little side hustle going on and it's getting some success or some traction, don't 
quit your job too early. <laughs> Why, Ben? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get into it, Miguel. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so it's like a trap that's very easy to fall into. You're like, oh, wow. Like, I just made $2,000 in a week. That's way more than I make in my day job. I can just do this every week. Then I will be rolling in it. And so many things can go wrong. And I'll say that there's very little downside to keeping your day job and just working as a side hustle. I ran my podcast on the side for years. All it requires is a little bit of sacrifice. And instead of playing video games at night, you work on your podcast or you develop your digital products. Instead of maybe hanging out with your friends two or three times a week, maybe it's just once a week or once every other week and you're kind of working on the side and you can do that for a long time. And I will say it is much, much, much better to do that, to work too much and have enough money than the opposite, which is kind of quitting that secure income. And you are working on this product that's not selling and you're not able to get the traction going. And so you put more and more hours into it. And soon you're working 80 hours a week but you're making even less income and you don't know why things are not working. But Ben, what about all those romantic stories I hear about somebody that like quits their job and now they get to be a full-time creator? <laughs> <laughs> those are great stories. Yeah. And they should be inspirational. But I think that it's there's nothing wrong with playing it a little bit more conservative. And then once your income has gotten to the point where it's replacing your day job on a regular basis, awesome. But do not ever count. Don't ever play the game of saying, okay, if I quit my day job, I'm only putting 20 hours into my side hustle now. I'll be able to put in 40 hours in my side hustle. So I'll definitely be able to double my income. That is a lie. That is not a guarantee. <laughs> it's not necessarily a lie. It's just not a guarantee. Also, that puts a lot of pressure on the work that you're doing. It puts a lot of pressure on your creativity and on the side hustle itself and on the viability of that business. And it changes your relationship with the business. It changes your relationship with your audience. It changes your relationship with the work that you're doing and, and your creative process. You know, it's the difference between feeling inspired and doing something and that turns into an income as opposed to like waking up at 8 a.m. and being like, I have to create today or else I don't eat tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's way different. Yeah. And you've had experience with this, haven't you, Miguel? Because I know that you've built things. You've done some carpentry for people. I don't know if it was trades or if it was for money, but you've like done things for people as well, too. Yeah, yeah, I have. And um, I've also been in a situation where I have quit my my comfortable job to transition into something new before I was quite ready to. And it was really, really hard. And um, I know what it feels like to kind of, you're kind of fully depending on the graciousness of other people in a way. How hard you work definitely is a part of it, but it is not the only part of it. And it is not like a one-to-one relationship where it's just like, if I work harder, I make more money. If I slack off, I make less money. That that just doesn't work when you're running a business. Mm -hmm. It might work if you have some kind of a job where, you know, it's an hourly thing. It's like, okay, well, if I work 60 hours this week, I'll make 50% more money than I normally do when I work 40. That doesn't work that way uh, when it comes to being a creator and having a business where you're trying to appeal to people to trade their money for your work. So we just have one last thing to talk about, and this is a little bit counterintuitive, not counterintuitive, I don't know. It's a little bit weird advice coming from this particular podcast, but 
I just want people to be aware that there are other business models out there rather than just being a content creator. Yes, being a content creator is awesome. Yes, you can make money with that doing Patreon or sponsorships or doing streaming and getting donations and stuff like that. But being a content creator where the product you're creating is content, I think is a really, really tough business model. I think that most businesses can benefit by having a content creation part of it that is part of the funnel that feeds things in. But there are lots of other ways to make money. I like know a friend here locally uh, in Boise who she flips furniture. She buys furniture off Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. She spruces it up and she sells it again. And she makes hundreds of dollars every month doing that. Uh, I know of another person who made like a really simple like fitness calculator online where you can like put in your, your body weight and like some of your goals and stuff like that. And just like does some calculations for you. And that website makes like almost $10,000 a month. Hmm. But there is a great article from this guy who says he sells onions on the internet. And it, he talks about just buying a domain about vidaliaonions.com or something like that. <laughs> and he talks about how this turns into a business where he actually sells onions online, which is probably not something he would ever think he was doing. And last example is I have another friend who's making some pretty decent income in the gaming space, not doing streaming, but doing kind of crypto based gaming. So there's lots of other business models out there, and some of them are a lot more beneficial than, than just being on the content creation treadmill. So I highly, highly encourage you to think kind of outside the box when it comes to like what products you might be wanting to make or how you want to make income, because there are things that require a lot less work or a lot more enjoyable work than just creating content all the time. So that's my little diatribe. Yeah, I think being honest with yourself and deciding, okay, what do I enjoy doing? But beyond that, what do I enjoy doing for others? Because there are a lot of things that I like to do around my house that you couldn't pay me enough to do for other people. Because part of my enjoyment is that I get to enjoy the end product. If it was for someone else's enjoyment, I'm not going to kill a whole weekend or two weekends building or designing or creating something so that someone else can enjoy it. And all I get is a few hundred dollars out of it. I'd rather just have my time than that. But that's where I am at in my life. There are other people that are like, what, you're giving up a few hundred dollars? What are you insane? <laughs> and a lot of people always tell me when I built something is, oh, you should sell these. You should make these and you should make money off of this. And maybe, maybe I could, but is that something that I'm willing to do? Is that something I'm willing to trade for income? And that's something that people should ask themselves when they're trying to decide what to do. And also, if it's something that you like to do, maybe there's a part of it that you could outsource it's something that you could enjoy. So what I mean by that is, I do like building things. Let's say a chair. I wanna build a chair. I wanna enjoy sitting in that chair. I don't want other people to enjoy sitting in that chair unless they're at my house, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I know that sounds funny and you can make your jokes, but I mean, that, I'm just, to illustrate a point, I'm just saying that, but there's a part of that that I could outsource and that is, how do you build this chair for yourself? How could I create something that is evergreen? I could film myself building this chair and how I go about designing it, choosing the materials, what tools I need. And then I could turn the building of that chair into the product, not the chair itself. Yes, yeah. So there's a way you could zoom out from what you're doing and kind of like sort of decide how to turn something you enjoy doing 
and making money out of it without it just being that thing that you enjoy doing and just do it over and over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to be cranking out chairs every weekend. That's not a good time for me. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point because selling like the plans for a chair or something like that might be a very low effort thing that you could do that could make you some money that might make you just as much money as having a podcast about chair building where you try and hustle to get sponsorships, but it's a lot more work, for example. Mm -hmm. So like really just being a little bit more strategic about like how you want to make money, how you want to do things, and also what you don't want to make money doing because you just want it just for yourself. I think that's a good place to end it on. Before we go, though, I do want to point out one more thing to our listeners and viewers. I want to remind everybody to go to our listener shout out. If you guys want us to highlight some work that you are doing, that's very simple at convertk.it forward slash listener shout out. And instead of me saying this next week, I could be talking about you and what you're working on. So think about that for a second. That's pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, also next week, we'll be joined by our regular hosts, uh, Charlie and Haley, and we'll be talking to a convert kidder named Danny Stewart. She is awesome and she's going to talk to us about managing online publications so if you're a writer this might be the one for you yeah all right everyone well thanks for listening thank you all for being here and uh we'll uh, see you all next week thanks ben yep see ya thanks for listening to this episode of the future belongs to creators if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.